Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my wife with the mostest, my hostess in life, my co-partner, <laughs> my one and only, her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep this train, this hope train, of moving on down the track. Choo-choo! That was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Good, good strong arm there, too. I'm getting stronger. Yeah, you are. I'm getting scareder. <laughs> I'm getting more frightened. Anytime you can put me in a headlock and I won't be able to get out of it or restrict me in some way, I'm a little intimidated, but I like it kind of too. So okay. it's all it's all kinds of goodness there. It's all good. Yeah, the pandemic has been awesome for us because all we've been able to do is exercise. Yep, work out. <laughs> Wake up, work out, go to sleep, repeat. Wake up, work out, go to sleep, repeat. Well, I think that's also a, uh, I think that's going to be a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people, you know, the challenge right now is kind of maintaining your your sanity, you know, in yeah. the midst of all of these changes, all the uncertainty. And I think physicality, like you can get those endorphins flowing in the morning, right. it really does help to make sure you have a better day. Yeah. And a lot of people that don't work out say they don't have time. And right now you have all the time in the world. Well, the next statement that they'll sometimes say is, I don't have a gym. Well, guess yeah. what? My journey, my weight loss journey, yeah, okay, began by doing what? Walking. Walking. Yes. I started walking a mile a day. Yes, you did. And from that became a mile every day became, now we're on day what? Like 1,509,436, yeah. or maybe that's the hours. Not quite, but yeah. <laughs> Four and a half years later, Yeah. here we are. So well, I, there's, I, there's so many things you can do without a gym, though. Yeah. I'm, like, as you're talking, I'm like, I mean, crunches and push-ups and squats, and there's so much things you can do. I don't like lunges. I don't like lunges either, but they're really good for you. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. So physicality, being outside. And the other thing is nature. Yes. I think when you're us, outside, yeah. yeah, when you go outside now, it's been a little bit of a challenge here in California mm-hmm. because a little bit of smoke in the air. It's a little smoke Now I don't really feel it. I haven't been, you know, it's not like I felt like I needed to wear a mask outside because of smoke, maybe yeah. because of COVID, but not because of smoke. I but, don't ever feel it when we're running. You know, yeah. like I can see it, but I like... I don't feel it in my lungs burning. Well, that's good. Yeah. All so, the more that's a that's a hope thing right there. I've got healthy lungs. Being able to go outside and enjoy nature even when there's a whole bunch of smoke in the air. Exactly. May not be the smartest thing. I was gonna but. say it's not good for you, but it doesn't bother me <laughs> as much as it would somebody else. Well, eating Oreos is not good for you either, but that's why uh, I that don't do it. That hasn't stopped me yet. <laughs> that's my favorite cookie ever. I'm not starting. You're not starting? No. Have you ever had an Oreo? Yeah. <laughs> They're not good. <laughs> what? They, they taste really fake. What? Like, why wouldn't you just get a real cookie from a real bakery, from a real baker? That's blasphemous. I know. I mean, double stuff Oreos are the bomb. They're not. Jennifer. I, I think you need to go to Cookie Connection. No. Yes. No. Oh, my gosh. No. Yeah. No. Oh, my gosh. Cookie Connection. Please send Sean cookies and change him. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, you make me laugh. Speaking of laughing, mm-hmm. is it funny time? It's always funny time. You know, we got to lift people up with a joke or two. Yeah. Now, seeing as how I've won almost 99% of the joke offs what? since we started. Um, I guess all your jokes. What are you talking about? I know. I'm just teasing. You you, you crush me when you do that. I'm so you, smart. You eliminate my funny 
opportunities. I can't help it. You 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 make me unhopeful when you crush my jokes. <laughs> oh, good lord! You can't do that no more. Okay. We're on the Hope Radio podcast. You you need to make sure I'm hope filled. You're hope filled. Okay, <laughs> I will not guess your joke this time. No, go ahead. You go. You want my joke first? I want to hear your joke, yeah, because you're going to go first, and it's going to probably be awesome, and it's probably going to be about food, and then I'm going to feel like I've got to rise above. Okay. You ready? Yes. It's kind of not about food, but it kind of is about food. Okay. Okay. (laughs) What did one water bottle say to the other water bottle? What did one water bottle say to the other water bottle? Hydrate. What are you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) So it's not about food, but it is about food, right? Water. Yes. Washes down food. Yes. Yes. That was a good one. I like that one. You ready for mine? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you call a magic dog? A magic dog. I know this one. Of course you would know this one. (laughs) No. Is it Hero? No. What is it? A Labracadabrador. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I want one of those dogs. Oh, Labracadabrador. <laughs> I can't even say it right. That's a tongue Labracadabrador. Say it, say it fast. Labracadabrador. Say it one more time. Labracadabrador. Well, I guess it is easy to say. Yeah, <laughs> it is. If you say it fast, it's easier. I couldn't get it out fast enough initially, and it made me tongue-tied. I don't ever get tongue-tied on the radio, do I? Yes, you do. Sometimes. That's what the beauty of editing is because you always take out all your tongue ties. No. Yeah. Not true. Yeah. I'll leave them in there for authenticity. Okay. <laughs> all right. Sean takes out his ums too. I do sometimes <laughs> take out my ums. Just so you all know, we, we flubber, we say things that might not come out the right way. And Sometimes sometimes you got to achoo. Sometimes, yeah. you know, like just the words just don't come out right. See, I've got a lot to say too. And sometimes I speak fast and sometimes they won't yep. come out fast enough. But that's the beauty of editing. And then they get tripped up on each other. Right. Like my words, they, they fall over each other. And then yeah. they get mixed up yeah. and the letters exchange. And like you could just see this mess on the floor. And that's how it comes out of my mouth. Right. We're, we're just here to inspire hope and give magic to people. Well, speaking of hope, mm-hmm. I've got an absolutely incredible guest lined up for us to talk to. Okay. Her name is Lisa Luckett. And this gal has a very, very hope-filled story and a very interesting perspective on the pandemic and what we're going through and what opportunity we can see from it. And she's she's lived life. I mean, this is coming yeah. from somebody that has had her fair share of adversity in her life. Mm-hmm. And her story will begin on a very, very well-known date, September 11th, 2001. That's where we're going to start her story. Oh, wow. So you ready for that? Yes, I think so. I want to call her up. We're going to get her on the line, and we are going to have an incredible time. So stay tuned. Get excited. I'm excited. You ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. All right, I've got Lisa Luckett on the line. Lisa, welcome to the Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Sean and Jen. So nice to be here. Thank you very much. Well, we are super happy to have you on the show. Excited to talk with you. Excited for you to share your story of hope. I think it's an incredible story. And uh, we're, we're just eager to get into it. And so why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Where do you live right now? What part of the country are you in? You know, what, what, what is your uh, circumstances? 
Uh, so I live in New Jersey, and um, please don't make fun of me, but <laughs> New Jersey on the north coast of the Jersey Shore beaches, which are actually gorgeous. And um, You're not on any reality to, shows, to right? No, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know Snooki. Even though everybody, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that I get that question. I do. Uh, there's a difference between, between living in New Jersey and living in Jersey. Okay. okay that's a very clearly de- delineated line when you live here. Oh. Um, but yeah, so, you know, just a little local knowledge. Yeah. Um, I have three young adult children uh, who have grown up here as well. So, so they've had a beautiful life of, of living around the water and the beaches and stuff. So, well, what, and I also grew up here myself, but I left for about 20 years and then gravitated back when it came time. Uh, I lived in New York and had a career there in radio advertising mm-hmm. I met my husband there, and this was a great commute, actually, to Wall Street, uh, which is, and I retired, and we moved here once my daughter was about two and a half, and I was pregnant with my second son. So that's how we ended up back home, and um, and it's been a great place. It's like the, the town we grew up, where my kids grew up in, we nicknamed Mayberry RFD, because it was just <laughs> this little community where everybody knows each other. There's no busing because it's so small and your kids ride their bikes and there's little sandwich shops. And it was really a great place to raise a family. Sounds, sounds like bliss to me. Sounds awesome. And we're, we're waving at you from the West coast, you know, we're, we're kind of equally yeah. situated on the West coast. So we're, 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 we're sending out love and hugs to you on the, <laughs> on the East coast here. Well, thank you. I feel them <laughs> very much. Well, um, I think that's, uh, that, I, I think that's awesome. I think a lot of people will, I was just talking to my kids about it. You'd, you'd keyed in on something that I was, I was saying like the kids right now, you know, like sometimes they're resistant to the area that they grow up, but you always seem to find a way back. You mm-hmm. know, you seem like you go out and you adventure and you do life. And then next thing you know, you come back. I, I kind of did that myself. And I think that's just natural. It's, it, there's something about home, about yes. where you grew up and where, where we lived originally that right. just, uh, I think speaks to you. It speaks to your soul a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that real comfort that, that yeah. visceral comfort of you no know, being familiar and and I, and honestly, if you had told me I was going to raise my kids here when I left, I would have said not in a million years. So <laughs> never say never would be the other part of that. Yeah, yeah never, never <laughs> say never. Well, I'm a former financial advisor, so I understand the the proximity to Wall Street and being where the the movements happen and where everything's shaking, where everything's uh, the you know the epicenter of the financial markets across the world. So, you know, you can't get too far away from those markets and and still be uh, an, an active participant in the game. And so I understand the proximity. So, you know, one of the things I read on your on your website is one of the things that really, you know, kind of changed from your formative experience is we got to go back to uh, 2001. So why don't you frame for our listening audience kind of the uh, earth shattering uh, world rocking thing that you went through back in 2001? Okay, so the reason we chose to move back here versus other parts in the in the New York metro is because there was a ferry service, commuter ferry, to Wall Street. And my husband worked at the top of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. So we were here with the kids for about four and a half years before September 11, 2001, when he walked out the door one morning and I said, I love you, honey, and I'll see you later, and out he went. And that morning, you know, I, my daughter had not been feeling well. So I took her to school a little late, later than usual. And I was walking in the door and my phone was ringing a little before nine. And my friend said to me, Lisa, what tower is Petty in? 
And I said, well, the one with the antenna on it. I'm like, why? And she said, well, turn on the TV because a plane just hit it and took off the top 15 floors. She didn't ask me what floor he was on because what she had just basically told me was that he was dead on the ground because he was on 105, wow. which is two stories from the top. Wow. So I turn on the television and see that the building is still standing. And what's important about my story as compared to other people, widows like me, is that Teddy walked down in the first bombing in January of 1993. And so I knew when I saw that smoke that they were gone. My mind knew, my heart couldn't receive it, but my logical mind knew because when he'd walked down the first time and got home five or six hours later, uh, it took him four and a half hours to walk down all those floors the first round. He was covered in soot. And in that explosion, there hadn't been any smoke outside of the building. So knowing that that's that knowledge, that pre-knowledge that we have about certain things out of experience so that he, you know, I knew, I knew they were, they had always talked about going to the roof if there was another attack, because when they went back in after the first one, they knew either subconsciously or consciously that they were going back into two gigantic targets. Yeah. So in the back of their minds, everyone knew, but we uh, we're not thinking along the right term, clearly. So. That, I, I just can't imagine what, you know, because I, I remember the exact moment, like the exact moment. I had a friend call me, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd stayed up late the night before. I'd sleeping in the next day and I had a friend call me and he called me more than once. And like, I'm like, what's going on? He says, turn on the TV now. Like, it's just like, you, I'll just never forget. I'll just never forget the feeling that I had witnessing that tower burning and you know having no idea what was coming having no idea what was still left to happen that day but that day was just earth shattering for anybody that re can recall it and and live through it and i imagine that that had to have been just a horrific ex a thing to experience to know that your husband was in that building to know that that plane had hit where it had hit to know what floor he was on and then to kind of reconcile the 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 just the certainty of, of knowing he probably wouldn't make it home. I, I know I read on your website, like it, your heart and your, your, your heart wants to fight with your mind. It's like, you know, is he going to walk through? Is he going to walk through? Is he going to be home? Is he going to come? You know, like those types of things, but man, what, what a thing to go through. Well, and you know, so the, the story now, 19 years later, um, evolves, right? We, we, we grow through nothing. One thing about trauma, one thing about any experience is it, it isn't, it isn't dormant. It keeps growing, moving, morphing, changing, you know, and we really have an option as, as humans to reflect back and learn from them as best we can. And one of the reasons that I had a very different experience that morning was not only because he had already had the experience of being a terror, a victim of terrorism in this regard, but my mother-in-law was very worried about my husband's health. She was a worry wart and she spoke it out loud and told me all the time that she was worried he was going to have a heart attack and he wasn't exercising and taking care of himself because he was so stressed on his Wall Street job and had a new, we had a new baby. We just had, I had a, a 40th birthday surprise named Timmy Luckett, who was four <laughs> months old. And <laughs> so, you know, realities of third child and motherhood and, and, um, you know, but she, because he, she had told me that I, took the next step in my own mind and ran his death through my mind literally hundreds of times. I'd 
So much so I would be weeping in the middle of the night with him lying next to me at the thought of him not being there. Well, what happens is when you do that, you prepare yourself. So in the weirdest, strangest way, morning of 9-11, after the initial shock, all of a sudden I was solid and clear and competent. And I was a nursing mother of a four-month-old, so nature doesn't let you go down. But the strangest way I had been prepared for that morning. That's incredible. I, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. You you had been prepared. Did you marvel at that? Like yeah, you just listened like, to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're not thinking about, about me, Jen, right? That, no. That's why you got me into shape, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jen, it's Jen, every spouse's worry. Yeah. Jen it cracks really the whip is. on me. She makes, sure, she makes sure I stay in shape. She, she right. leads by example, but she gets me down in that uh, gym of ours to work out every morning. But, I, you know, I can totally That's understand. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I think the, the idea is, uh, for me, I, I, I'm a very spiritual person. You know, I love Jesus. I love God. And I, I just think that he works in, in just marvelous ways. And I do believe that you were prepared for that as much as anybody can be prepared. I know mm-hmm. that the, you, you can't really, but like in the, in the way that you imagined it or thought about it or probably thought about what your life would look like if something had happened to him, when something did happen, it wasn't like you had to start from scratch. It was not like you were at, at base zero and just caught completely you know, off guard, um, et cetera. So how did you, how did you process that day, and I want to talk about the third day because I want to talk about pocket angels in a, in a second. But like, how did you how did you move through that? Was it easier to move through just because you had kids and like you, that t- you have to attend to them? And you know, I just got to I just got to breathe. I got to make sure they're okay, etc. Uh, was it your faith? Was it was friends and family? Like, what got you through those first initial couple days? Well, so. Excellent question, because quite honestly, from the moment I saw Turn the Television on, I woke up kind of from my stupor with my little guy four months old on my shoulder and my son, other son was four and he was had, I had his hand and I somehow had moved us over to the couch. And I don't know, probably been a, you know several minutes that I kind of sat there in shock and my little, my son, Billy, who was the four-year-old said, you know, mom, you were screaming like Teddy, Teddy, Teddy and stomping your feet, which I don't remember. But shortly, must have been shortly or moments after that, I realized that I had to get up and deal, that something started guiding me. And I've, I'm very spiritual as well, but did not have a, a good relationship as a religious in my upbringing with religion. Just never connected. No offense to anyone who gets it that way. I just didn't. Um, but didn't have an active practice of any kind. And um, But always believed in a higher power. And... Looking back, so by 11 o'clock that morning, um, I mean, the planes, if you remember, there were still two planes in the air after the yeah. buildings fell. You yeah. know, we were still waiting for what was the next thing to drop. And that morning was went on for a long time. I was very, very clear. I was, I remember looking around my dining room. I could see the dust particles dancing in the sunlight coming through the window, like very, very much uh, surreal, very esoteric, but very clear, kind of, kind of floating. And feeling two hands on my back, like propping me up. Wow. And literally thinking, Teddy, oh my God, is that you? Because what I could see was everyone around me losing it and looking at me and saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And all the guys that like the phones were ringing and ringing and ringing because everybody was accounting for who was gone and who was back. And so it quickly came down to the dozens or so that people in my our local, local area that were above the fire. And so our homes became kind of ground zero, no pun intended, um, 
for information. So what would happen is, so I would, so people started literally my friends who were there by the time the buildings fell and that's a long story, but I don't want to take time away from this point, which was I was in this heightened state of awareness and I could see how much they were hurting and how terrified they were. And in this strange way, I was so calm because now I was being guided. Right. But I didn't know that then I can tell you now. And in the, that open, that trauma shock, right. It blows you wide open. So what happens? but things come in, right? So that you're open to receive. So in that window, I was, you know, woman raised in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. You did not ask for help. (laughs) I am woman, man. I can fry up the bacon, (laughs) bring it home in a pan. And, you know, let let me, the worst thing I could have ever imagined was asking for help. And this voice said to me, Lisa, let them help you. Oh, because powerful. all they could do and I just let go and I literally dropped that control in that moment and surrendered and was overwhelmed I mean it by the feelings of gratitude and humility and this love that has been with me ever since oh what that's powerful that's an extremely powerful message right yes. there and I think that that's echoed with um what what you said because you said in, I read that you and I can understand this. You you kept wanting to go. You you wanted to go to ground zero. You wanted to go to ground zero. Yeah. You wanted to get you like you just felt like this this need to to be there. And then on the third day after September 11th, um, somebody that's close to you, somebody that you well, somebody that you knew, but yet you know uh, didn't. I don't know how to describe him, but yeah. tell the story of the pocket angel. Okay, so right, so here I am, and and I'm everybody's wanting to help me. And, and that's the only way they could literally feed their souls. Right. When you're in that much pain, we as humans need, it's the magnanimous aspect of being human. We have to help each other. And if you block somebody from helping you when you're in pain, you're actually blocking them from feeding themselves. So if that allows people to say, wait a minute, maybe I can receive because I'm doing it for the other person. Like that was my justification in learning how to do that. So in that sense, so now I'm in this amazing place in the first days after 9-11 and I'm processing everything and just able to let people come in and touch me and be with me and hold the kids and just share in this pain, right? So a friend from church who I didn't know well, but was one of the local fire chiefs of one of the other towns nearby um, came to my, in, to my kitchen like the third morning because people, as I say, were coming and going. And um, I had been literally dying to get in to find him. I mean, I'm a, I'm a warrior and that was my city. I lived there for 12 years. He was mine. I had to find him. The world trade centers were very important in my own career. We had a lot of time there. That was my city and I needed to get in there and I couldn't because I had three kids. I was an infant. I had parents, I had neighbors literally like in front of me in my way. So I couldn't go. And it was, it was just crazy. I can't explain the pressure of that driving need. And um, this man walks into my kitchen and he says, out of the blue, and he says, Lisa, I went to ground zero yesterday looking for Teddy and I had this with me and I want you to have it. And he pulls his hand out of his pocket and in his palm is this silver coin that's embossed with the shape of an angel. And he said, it's a pocket angel. And I've never heard of it before. And I tell you, honestly, I, when I reached and took that angel from his hand, I got full body rushes and this wave of like dizziness. 
And when I came out of it, I didn't have to go anymore. I got, I got wow, goosebumps. Like you too. can't, do you got goosies? I, I can see your goosies. I, yes, yes. I got, that is, whoa, that is powerful. Yeah. How did you process I, that? I, I'm, I'm so on, like you can't, like the single greatest gift of 9-11 oh, yeah. was that pocket angel because that it just calmed, it's their magic. So it was, the, it was the grace, right? It's the higher power. It's being cared for. And it, it comes in these ways that we don't, expect and and so you know it's kind of a hall crux if you follow harry potter you know there was energy in that thing and so five years to continue the story so um my next step my next awareness was very much and it was this kind of this growing building unbelievable power that came kind of from my roots up through me that said there is no way i'm gonna let teddy and all the others die in vain i will make something good come from this because if I don't, then the terrorists would have won. And that is unacceptable to me. Yes. Amen to that. Without even knowing what an intention was. <laughs> it was setting the greatest intention of my life. It's to that, figure it out. It's that stirring, that 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 just that unsettled nature inside that that I've got to do something. I will I will do something. It's 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 that intention, mm-hmm. but it's the power behind it. It's the it, it's it's almost like this righteous conviction yeah. to I, I will you know and I and I get you I will. my my wife's a Viking warrior princess <laughs> with an axe and a sword so I I get the power of a woman with intention like I I do understand that and I do understand how world changing that can be and and so far I read on the on the website so take it a step further something like forty thousand like so this became a movement for you and so describe exactly what you did to make a difference with that pocket angel as kind of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the stirring that started it. Okay. So, so the back little bit more backstory. So it makes more sense is to figure it out meant I was going to get and take my life to the analyst couch. And I was going to do the psychoanalytic analysis to figure out my life because I had an opportunity to change the trajectory of my children's future mm. and my, my future. So in other words, I was shot so far out of the box that I'd never fit in in the first place that I just stayed there and said, wow, this is where I should have always been anyway. And I d- d- defied all the naysayers and all the shame around therapy. And I did, in fact, four years later, get break through the ceiling to mental health and get this download, which I learned later was actually a channel download of a brand of kindness. And in those, so that took about two years to process all of that, which was the greatest single gift of my life was, and I joked that it was like wild E coyote riding the acne rocket in the Roadrunner cartoon, like with my hair, like flying forward, like, you know, but so much manic joy. And it was unbelievable. I wish everyone could have an experience like this. And what came out of it was a crafting, it's a whole story, but one of the things was I was playing with my kids and I was, we were making little things out of this clay, Sculpey clay, or it's a Fimo, uh, the polymer baking clay. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to make hearts. I'm going to make pocket hearts. And because the pocket angel meant so much to me that I'm going to pay now forward and back all of the kindness that was showered on my kids and I, because it was actually the kindness of strangers that actually helped us to heal. Everyone who's listening to this, anyone who was involved in the experience of 9-11 and sent us those prayers, 
they held us buoyant and sustained us. It wasn't the people closest to me. My, our families blew apart because they were dysfunctional to begin with, and we break where we're already weak. So they did not serve at all. They hurt. They made it worse for me, but it was the strangers, people I didn't know, my community that would show up for me in these remarkable ways that I've come to tar- term it as the godness or the goodness with one less O of 9-11 or, in fact, of any trauma. And that's what we don't understand is – we have every trauma involves um, this the wonderful goodness of humanity. We can only as humans imagine the negative. We never expect to be flanked by this amazing, this holding, this, this love this, that is showered on us in the form of prayer and energy and, and action on the people in our world. And it's always here. And we going forward, COVID, whatever, we are going to help each other. And we'll be better for having lived it. I want to so go the pocket heart. I'm sorry to wrap that up. The pocket heart is something I give out to pay forward and back all that kindness. And I've passed that about 50,000 now. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. I, I, I can't get enough of that. I think that that that's an excellent example of absolutely paying it forward. But I, I did want to go back to something that you had said, because I, I don't I don't want to miss this point, because I think relative to COVID right now, and I, and I will have that discussion. I think it's an important acknowledgement. What you did was you 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 held space, you reflected, you you said in that in that moment that I'm, I'm going to, what'd you say? I shot outside the box. I got shot outside the box so far that it would, there's no way that I'd ever go, go back. And so in that moment, you, you went through therapy. I'm a huge advocate of counseling. I cannot advocate for it enough. I've been through six years of counseling personally. Jen and I've been through it together. You know, I, I just think it's one of the best tools out there to learn about yourself and navigate your feelings and, and, and to unpack maybe some stuff that you've stuffed down. But, you know, you, you held space in that moment and used that experience to transform you and shape you and, and, and learn from it, extract something from it. I, I always feel like whenever there's, there's trauma, whenever there's a, a significant challenge that we go through, especially people that are very spiritual, it's, it's an opportunity for us and God will help us to maximize the maximum possible good that can come out of that. What can we extract or squeeze out of yeah. this adversity? And so I think that's what you went through. That was the process that you engaged. That's what you, you put cognitive thought into trying to to transform yourself and, and learn through this and grow through this experience to the best of your ability, correct? Oh, absolutely. And the, the further backstory is the first 40 years of my life, which so I turned 41, uh, my birthday is tomorrow, the 3rd of September. Happy early so birthday. My, I, 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 thank you. I, but it's a week before 9-11. So I just turned 41 years old and I had 40 years of highly dysfunctional looks good from the outside, but dysfunctional American upbringing to take forward and put on that couch. So therapy, any kind of analysis, you know, it's, there's no judgment. And that's what I, I want. I hope people understand the shame has been showered on the world that we are ex- expected to know what we're doing as humans is crazy. And the fact is that any experience you take to the couch, is just grist for the therapy mill because you're grinding up those experiences and you're gaining the flower of insight. The, grinding up those experiences, gaining the yeah. flower of insight. What a quote. That's an awesome. That that's that's good. I like that a lot. Give me another one. Yeah. What, what else you got? Sure, sure. Well, let's see. Life is always preparing you. Yes. Uh, life prepares you for life. 
Yes. I was clearly prepared to handle the experiences I was given. And that, you know, to our, to our point, you know, off air, that, that everyone is, people hear this, my story, and they think, oh my gosh, I could never have done that. And the answer is absolutely, absolutely would have and could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you were given, you are given what you can handle, even though it feels like it's crushing. But what is your option? To be in a puddle in the corner? Yeah, fetal position. When you have three little kids, you asked me earlier, yeah, my kids are what got me through it. It's the distraction, right? It's the distraction of daily life, the, di- the distraction of normalcy, the distraction of some, a healthy distraction, needlework, anything with your hands, anything tactile is going to calm your central nervous system. It's going to allow your left brain to rest while your right brain takes action and your intuitive sensory centers can kick in and care for you. Yeah, I think we all were, available. We were talking about uh, just the, the the shared experience. You know, as a nation, September 11th in 2001. You, anybody that that was old enough to have a memory of that was was transformed and shaped by that. It was it was a it was a united the United States and many other countries. I don't I don't want to say that we were alone in it, but certainly the United States went through a shared trauma. Mm-hmm. And I believe right now we're in the midst of global trauma. And certainly everybody in the United States is dealing with COVID. And, and so it's, it, it's, I think, coming alongside. This is, this is another event, probably the, the next, the only next event, seriously, that we've had since September 11th that the nation collectively, all of us in unison, are going through. So I, I believe that September 11th probably prepared you better for COVID than somebody that may have not been through that. Because... You know, like you can draw on those experiences. You can draw on that strength. You remember what you had to do. You remember how you had to process that. And so, you know, I, I think that, that, that your points about um, life prepares you for life and that you can make it through. That's our objective with this show is to remind people that they're stronger than what they think and listen to these stories of people overcoming and and transforming their lives in the process and, and using that challenge or that adversity to propel them to the next thing, the, the next thing that they'll do. Absolutely. It, well, well, that all, that plays into really what is one of my, what I believe is the most important mantra of our time. And that is the life is a classroom and the struggles are the lessons yeah. that we're not really here to be happy. We're actually here to struggle. And we've just kind of been looking at it wrong. And it's like any time you reframe something, all of a sudden it's not, it just takes on a different, that becomes an offensive position rather than defensive position. So if you know you're here to struggle, you can lean into it instead of being surprised by it, right? I wasn't yes. surprised by 9-11 in the same way other people were. I wasn't teetering on the edge of the abyss. I was 10 feet back from the edge, firmly planted. Now, how, how, did, did 9-11 help you go through because the other part of your story the other major life challenge that you went through is that you were diagnosed with cancer so how did how did what you went through with september 11th and 2001 and that whole process prepare you for your for your battle with cancer well it's interesting because cancer to most people is one of the the, or the biggest thing they'll ever go through right so your life is all a, a kind of putting in things in perspective or on a spectrum. So for me, and my cancer was an early detection, breast cancer found on a sonogram at an annual scan. So it was early for stage one. Um, 
you know, for, once I got over the initial shock of it, I thought to myself, all right, like, bring it on. Like, let me see if I, in fact, can and have learned a skill set for trauma management. What did I learn from 9-11? How is that going to serve me here? And it worked. <laughs> I, the answer is yes, you can learn a, a skill set for trauma management. That's just my language around it. But people who have been on the planet long enough who have gained wisdom through their experience, when you move out of the victim mindset and shift to see that your life is actually happening for you, not to you, everything changes. Oh my gosh. That's what, that's what, that's been one of my favorite. Jen, yeah. Jen starts last name. That's Sean's favorite quote right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like the last, last five and, and you beat me to it. And I love it. Like you, you, you said, no, it's awesome. <laughs> it was good. Feel your thunder. No, no. It was nice hearing it from someone else. <laughs> Jennifer. Really? Well, I mean, right. I'm just saying. <laughs> now I believe you. <laughs> that is so funny. That, that is just, that is just like well her to said, say. Jen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I think there's something powerful to that, you know, like I, I do, like I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes that I think when you play a victim mentality, mm-hmm. oh, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Which is easy to do. I think all of us have, have been in a circumstance where, you know, that's like an easy default position to, to take, but sometimes it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. And, and, and the for you comes with you extracting and reflecting and, and, and trying to, to produce the maximum fruit and a positive benefit from that experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you can reframe it. And I love reframing. Jen and I were just talking to our, um, to our son and, and our son turned 16 recently and through COVID he was supposed to test on his 16th birthday. And then obviously it got blown all up because of that and he couldn't test. And so finally three months later, we're able to get him into test and, and, uh, we arrive, you know, 20 minutes early, like they told us to do. And, you know, we're sitting outside and this was one of those days when California was going through a, like a heat wave. It was like 106 outside. And so they didn't have any shade for us. We're sitting, you know, they, they had social distancing and only the first person in line could be in, in shade. And we were two or three back. So 10 minutes later, he, he gets there. They ask him a few questions and they take his temperature with one of those guns on his head and his temperature read high little wonder we'd been out there for 15 minutes in the direct sun on a hot day. Right. And so they wouldn't let him test. And so now they had to reschedule again for another two weeks. And like, you know, he had had so much behind this. And I, and I looked at him and I said, listen, bud, you need to reframe this. Maybe this happened for you. Maybe, maybe if you'd tested now, maybe you would have gotten an accident or maybe something would have happened. Like imagine if this event, this delay right now just saved your life. Does that take the sting of disappointment away? And he's like, yeah, I get that. Okay. I'm all right. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back in in two weeks. You know, it's just, but it's that point that you're saying about reframing it seeing it in a different perspective, shifting your point of view and seeing it differently. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Absolutely. And if you can, and when I'm in those moments and and the point is we all have victim moments, we were bouncing through the different energy levels all the time, you know, so we all can feel that moment. But when you're in the throes of something painful, you know, my prompt to myself is, wait, what am I being shown? What am I supposed to learn here? And it's when I became that objective observer of my situation, when I learned that the changing that preposition from two to four, it changed, it was a total game changer, changed my life in that moment forever. And I think everybody has an opportunity right now. I think COVID is, you know, bringing it back around to, to the subject at hand. I think COVID is an example of everybody getting an opportunity to do that work, to do that reflection, because very few people are going to come out of it 
you know, unscathed. And I think that if you look around collectively, it's been a major, major challenge. And are you seeking to draw the maximum benefit out of this experience? Is it disruptive? Yes. Is it challenging? Is it catastrophic for some people? Yes. Have people died and businesses struggling? Yes. In, in the midst of that, we've got social unrest and we've we've got natural disasters and we got we got a lot going on. Like, I, I just feel like our whole world is being shaken up right now. Are you listening? You know, maybe that's the question. Are you listening? You know, are you reflecting? Are you on the path that you're supposed to be on? And if not, what are you going to do about it? This is that opportunity to to do that work. Right. I mean, if we if you're going into the if where you you and I, the three of us clearly have very co- common mindsets, and we're in this very awakened place, mm-hmm. right? And and COVID from a, a spiritual perspective of the spiritual leadership understands that this is just a great awakening. Yeah, young people say that right. we're woke right now. That's what they're saying. We the are millenn- woke. The, the millennials will say, you must be a woke person. <laughs> well, you are if you understand that there is no racial, there's no longer racial bias, there's no longer gender bias, that, that things, everybody's just a person struggling in the exact same way. Yes. They know that. Anybody under 35, anybody born and from 90 on it was literally born into a different energy and they don't have the same edges. True. It's really special what's going on. I believe in my true heart that we are the uh, in a place of honor of witnessing anyone who's on the planet right now, the evolution of humanity in real time. That's powerful. I yeah. like that. That Jen, yeah. Jen got a big smile on her face too. She's like, "That's good. I like that." We got more nuggets. We got these are hope nuggets that we're, nuggets. That, we're that we're mining out of out of our conversation with you. Yeah, well, because if we so go, go to that 10,000 foot view, take the drama out, take the victimization out, take the, the, the nuts and bolts and boots on the ground out for a moment and look at it from a bigger perspective and how amazing it is that we are global now. You know, then we had talked about this earlier off, off air that, you know, 9-11 was the birth canal that opened the world because it came in conjunction with the internet and with 24-hour cable news. 24-hour cable news was in 91 with the Gulf War. Mm. That's when CNN signed on and the internet signed on in 93. So in 2001, that's more or less 20 years later, pretty much the same timing. 9-11 gave a story that was a feeding frenzy for years, super, super, super served by the internet and by cable news. And all of a sudden, the world was talking to each other. So now we have a, we have a global catastrophic situation, but it's moving really slow. Like, what do we do? We're so used to moving fast that we're doing the complete 180 and we've stopped. Well, that's pretty amazing because how many people wouldn't have loved a three, four five week vacation? Yeah. You know, how many people have bonded with their families? There's amazing gifts that have come out of COVID. No more so than just the idea that the George Floyd story could get some traction because there was literally nothing else to talk about. And social, there was nothing on social media because no one was traveling. No one was showing how great their life was. The, the, the white so, noise was eliminated. The busyness of life yeah. was eliminated. Yeah. Everyone was, was more or less present to the, what, what's going on right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And we could hear it. Yeah. You know, it's also the moment in time because again, if this is in fact, this, much bigger thing, this awakening, this stopping up by the, by the higher power, by the universe, by nature, however you want to phrase it, mother nature giving us all a big time out to say, wait a minute, you need to look at how you're living your life. 
the fires, the storms, the climate change, the planet is, is going to throw us out if we don't stop. Planet will always be here. And we may not. But, you know, <laughs> this is a wake-up call. <laughs> now, I mean, Mother Earth's going to survive. She's fine. You know, she'll recover. We, on the other hand, you know, and so we have an opportunity here. And that's why, you know, the millennials get such a bad rap. Well, the millennials are who are going to be in line to change this. And they have been raised in a way that says, Maybe authority doesn't know everything. I think if nothing's been proved more clearly in the last 20 years, it's the, seri- the systems of authority have failed. The government, organized religion, corporate America, nobody trusts anybody anymore. So now it's about trusting yourself. So now we've shifted into intuitive trust, and that's where the kids are. I don't want to um, not talk about Cosmina enlightened living. So I, I want to make sure great points that, that you made, but I, I want to make sure we have an opportunity to talk about that because something was birthed out of the experiences that you went through. And what I read is Cosmina is brand of kindness, lifestyle brand, social movement based on warmth, comfort, care, consideration, grace. So this is something that was a product produced out of your life experiences. So tell us a little bit more about it. So it's that I mentioned earlier, it was a, a literally because I come out of a sales and marketing background. What do I produce when I get this download? I get a brand, <laughs> a brand of kindness. <laughs> and I, it took me years to put it down the funnel to even try to explain what I was experiencing. So what came out was this lifestyle brand. And, and it's a lifestyle in the sense of you're living a Cosmina life when you live in the moment with gratitude, humility, and grace where there's no judgment or criticism of yourself or others, and kindness is the golden rule. Was that something that was deeply rooted out of your experience of, of not your family, but, but strangers and, and friends coming alongside of you out of September 11th like that, just that raw human-to-human, person-to-person coming alongside you when your family was dysfunctional and it, and it basically broke apart. Like Jen and I know that, like we, we've got one family member predominantly, we've got my mom and then Jen doesn't have a relationship with her family for the reasons that you speak of highly dysfunctional, not, not supportive, etc. And so, uh, we rely on our friends a lot. And so I could, I could see, you know, strangers, people we've just met sometimes are far more compassionate and, 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 uh, empathetic to your situation than even people that have been around you for 20 years. And so was it, was, was this, birthed out of that, like that just profound feeling of love and support that you got, uh, from September 11th? Absolutely. And, and it looked like this after four years, I'm on my analyst, I'm on the therapist couch one day. I don't know what she said. I don't know what I said that prompted it. All of a sudden it all fell into place. Like all the puzzle pieces nested together. And I sat bolt upright on my on the couch and I said, Oh my God, I've got it everybody, we just have to be nice. We, we can change the world if everyone's just nice. And many years later, I realized it was because for the first time in my life, after 9-11, everyone was nice to me. And it healed me. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, it is. That is really, really powerful. It's as powerful. simple as being nice. Yeah, everyone just That's needs to be nice. Be a good person. Be nice. be nice. Why is it so hard? <laughs> Well, and I mean, as, as profoundly non profound as that sounds, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, really, when I tell the story. But if I could tell you how clear it was and how I literally shot bolt upright, it was like, oh, my God, 
we just have to be nice, yeah. you know, and that's, that's the truth. So when we talk about kindness and the truth is if we could just figure out a way, let's put our heads together, you, your listeners, me, everybody, we've got to figure out how to make kindness sexy. Because <laughs> if we make kindness sexy, this will not be a problem. We need shirts right now. That's all I'm right. saying. Kindness, kindness is the sexy. new sexy. So, <laughs> right? You know, th- that's the truth. Our bad, we've got our good selves, our little angels and our little devils on our shoulders all the time. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and so it's just, it's, it's just an awareness. And I think that's where I, I feel very, very positive about where we are. We're in a rough time right now. I feel very sad for anyone who's lost businesses, certainly who's lost family members. You know, it's, it's very, it's, too much time to think, but what had happened, we'd gotten so distracted. We weren't thinking at all. So back to laying in the grass, looking at the clouds, searching for four leaf clovers, you know, some boredom is really, really necessary for us to become creative again. Yeah, I agree with that. Jen, when she said uh, her statement about kindness, I thought about Colby. Yeah, his hat. Yeah, our son, our, our oldest son has a favorite hat and, and we haven't been able to find another version of it and he wears it everywhere and all it says is kindness matters. And it's just, it's, yeah. a, it's a black ball cap and, it, and it, it's got the white letters on it that says kindness matters. He wears it everywhere. And I think you're, I think you're right. Being kind, being nice, being sensitive, being empathetic. Like that's, that's what we need more of right now, especially now. Yes. Well, and, and the truth is it's such an easy practice and it goes like this, put yourself in the other person's place. So simple. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been awesome. As we, we reflect on your life experiences and everything that you've gone through, I want to, I want to reframe it for our listeners right now in the midst of COVID. So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that somebody out there listening is going through the most traumatic thing that they've ever dealt with in their life, their version of 9-11 or their version of cancer or, you know, fill in the blank. But it, it's it's just bringing them to their knees. As somebody that has been through it and, and come out the other side and learned lessons from it and gained experience and, and vital knowledge from it, like what what advice and or perspective could you share to somebody that that just is feeling rocked right now? Again, it may sound trite, but it is the truth. You just have to let go and trust the process and just know it will be okay. Mm -hmm. That given enough time, everything will be okay. That we try so hard to control what's happening when in fact we really control nothing. And if you can let go and just trust the process of what you're really probably speaking of is grief. And grief isn't any change. So grief doesn't require a death. Grief isn't any type of change. And the idea that it will never be the same for whatever reason. And grief is a process. It has very specific stages. And it's just, it will, you will come out the other side, I promise. Oh, that's good. Very good point. I agree with you. Yeah, that's a great reminder that grief grief doesn't have to be at the at the death of somebody or the loss of somebody. You can grieve a relationship, you can grieve a business, you can grieve, you know, a whole bunch of different things. And so, I think that that's a great great reminder and that whole let go, you know, don't don't think that you got to control everything. Yeah. Man, that speaks to me. That's that's one of those uh I call that a hope nugget right yeah. there. You know, like you just got that, that <laughs> reminder that it's it's going to be okay. Like you just just hold it lightly. Just stop stressing. Right. Hold it lightly. It's going to be okay. Yes. 
Everything's going to be well, okay. And, and if you do shift, right. Sorry to interrupt. No, um, go ahead. If you do shift to looking at it as happening for you and trying to see what you're being shown and what, what you're supposed to learn from it, that the litmus test that I always try to use with each difficult experience is, am I better for having lived that? Yes. That's awesome. So I got one last question for you before we finish up here. How in the heck have you met 50,000 people almost? Or like, <laughs> and, and how, how have you had the time to make 50,000 pocket hearts? Well, pocket hearts are my complete, you want to talk about a happy place. It's when I'm sitting in front of the TV with my can, my can, my canister, like cookie canister of clay, and I'm watching TV and I'm folding pocket hearts and then I bake them in my toaster oven just to show you how high tech I am. And, um, but giving them out, I literally pass them everywhere. And the reason I know it's about 50,000 is I have a beautiful crystal bowl that was a wedding gift that I fill up all the time. And it holds about 800 hearts. And I have definitely filled that thing well over 100 times. So 50,000 is a very low estimate of how many I've made. And I've taken them out. I've given them to all speaking engagements, to kids and groups, and everywhere I go. And after 13 or 14 years, 50,000 isn't even that crazy. Wow. That is awesome. I want to put one on as a necklace. (laughs) Like they're so cute. I have made them into everything. Yes. You can make them. I have them in all forms and stuff. Fa- they just, as I, yes, I have them in that too. And, and people have, I've toyed around with making them into real jewelry as far as like having a cast made. And, oh, yes. you know, there's so many ways you can go. There's just not enough yeah. time, but, um, given enough time, I hope the, the, the fast, the, the fantasy around the pocket hearts is that one day they would all connect oh my and gosh. they actually have connected in many, many ways. Um, we know they're all over the world. Mm-hmm. They've been in surgeries. They've been bur- in births. They've been in homework, then tests and then, you know, every single happy, sad, scary place because they actually do have a masculine energy. And the best part about them is I would never, ever sell them. Yeah. Um, I would sell a kit to make them so other people could make them because they're so good for you to be, it's so good for you to play yes. a play and use your fingertips. Right. So there, that's the whole premise behind Cosmina was, is basically finding soothing yourself through your five senses. One of my favorites being, well, first of all, baked goods, of course, cooking, baking, <laughs> but then crafting. So, so well, I, I think they're magic because they're made with love and yeah. empathy. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing. You're not selling them. There's no, I mean, it's a completely altruistic motive, but there's, there's no profit motive for it. And you're, you're giving them to make somebody's life better. So I think that they are, magical they, and i think that they that's remind awesome me of rainbows and unicorns i know jen, jen saw the picture it of- is a little rainbow unicorny but i will yeah. say that i just was just a target today yeah. and you know covid is the strangest thing because i haven't been able to give them out because people won't take them oh. because it's a hand-to-hand transfer okay. right with uh-huh. germs yeah so now that everybody's a little over it i'll say to them i'll give them hearts and now it's glove to glove right but <laughs> the point is they are an energetic trans transmission and they actually do carry the energy of that love in them so they are, in fact, magic. And I get stories back that will blow your mind. Wow. So I, th- I think there should be a book coming. Mine. Yeah. Pardon me? I think there should be a book coming. These stories, I think that they should go into a, into a book. That sounds awesome. It sounds yeah. like the, the... I should be more organized. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but they, I, never, <laughs> I never claim them to be mine. They truly came through me. Yeah. And that's why they're the greatest gift to me as they are to everyone else and we all feel it. And so I hope I'll send some out to you. You know, we'll get our addresses later, but you know, it's it's about sharing the love and 
they they are just true joy. I love Aww. that so much. <laughs> Lisa, you've been absolutely an incredible guest. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story and, you know, being vulnerable and talking your truth. And you had so many good hope nuggets in there that, that uh, Jen and I appreciate and I'm sure our listeners appreciate. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for, uh, you know, being an example of how to, you know, not only deal with trauma, but thrive mm-hmm. post trauma. Yeah. So kudos to you. Yeah. Uh, well, I believe that in the end, we are all, all sir thrivers. Mm. So I leave that to you both. Thank you very, very much. It's been my honor to be with you today. Oh, thank awesome. you. Wow, Jen, did we get some uh, hope nuggets out of that interview or what? She was filled with hope nuggets. Uh, so much, mm-hmm. so much goodness there. And uh, what what a champion, what a, what a unique perspective on life. And I think that she took what happened to her and really just squeezed, almost like a juice machine, squeezed the maximum yes. possible benefit out of that adversity. And then now is a lamp, a light to others to go, listen, you can make it through right no you know honestly like i think i took the most notes on hers i'm actually reading them right now yeah i took the most notes you had the most hope notes on on lisa yes on our guest lisa very hopeful i know and here's the thing though you can actually pick up her book it's called the light in Mm 9-11 i love that title the light in 9-11 shocked by kindness healed by love that's her book and you can go to also uh, lisaluckett.com. That's L-I-S-A-L-U-C-K-E-T-T.com. I am just actually really excited about receiving a pocket heart. I know. <laughs> like, so, like so, I can't even wait. But here's the thing. She, she has, just think about she that. She said they're magic. I know. I am going to be like Harry Potter. But here's the thing. She made them in her toaster oven. I know. They're magical toaster ovens. I know. But how, how many can she put in there at a time in a toaster oven? And she's made like over, she said that 50,000 was conservative. It, yeah. it probably is more than that. They're really magical. I, I want I want to hear the stories about them like I know. we talked about. I want here's the thing though when you sit there and think about that I wonder if I've ever come into contact with 50,000 people. No. You don't think so? No. Why? Cuz we live in the hills. We're hill people. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. I marvel at that. Yeah. But keep in mind, you know, she's in she's in Jersey. So like she probably sees she's people, all, people the all the time. Imagine if we I'm not saying she is, but imagine if we were on the subway right. you know, every day. Or, you know, walking the streets every day or whatever, you know? Well, she says she gives them out at schools and stuff like that, so. I love that. Yeah, that's really. I, I, I want a piece of magic in my pocket that reminds me of hope, life everlasting, mm-hmm. peace, all the good stuff. Oh, my gosh. I will carry and they're rainbow everywhere. Colored. I know. They look like rainbow unicorns. They're super cute. And then she had a whole bunch of them in the shape of a heart. I know. Like if you go to her website, you see a picture of yeah. that. Like, they're all, all of these... You know, pocket hearts. I love it. Yeah. How about the pocket angel? I love that's that's how it all started. How, that download, that peace that came mm-hmm. over her, like it, like a gift. She touched it and she tingled down to her toes. I love. I, I just. I believe I got that goosies. stuff. Yeah, I, got I believe that stuff. So I know exactly what she felt when she received that. So it's just su- super cool. So much power, so much goodness yeah. there. A lot, a lot of nuggets yeah. out of that interview. She was Thank awesome. you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your story and for your truth, your perspective, yeah. your vulnerability. Yeah. And let's all make kindness sexy, right? Yes. Heck yeah. Kindness needs to be sexy. Sexy kindness. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say sexy time. I said sexy kindness. (laughs) He looked at me real weird up in here. 
Uh, I just had a moment, so forgive me. Anyway. We're making kindness sexy people, okay? Okay, that's the mission. That's, that's the goal. That's the mission. <laughs> so how do people get more of our uh, Hope Train hilarity? Hilarity? Yeah, it's, it's hilarious, al- right? It's not always hilarity. Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, how do they get more of whatever we offer? How do they get more hope-filled? How do they get more of whatever we offer, Jennifer? <laughs> Jeez Louise. Which who knows what we offer. We, I don't, I'm we still trying to figure up, it out. Right? We, we do what God says. God says show up. We show up and whatever comes out, comes out. This is true. Right? So how do people get more of it if they like it? Well, you can tune in to us on any place where you listen to your podcasts. Well, you can also share it with others, which is hope filling. Sharing is caring. Share the show. Send it out into the ether. Share Hope Radio Podcast with your friends and family. Make kindness sexy too. <laughs> Stop saying that. You just you you're trying to now you're trying to get me because you look at me and then you're like, ooh, make kindness sexy. I like it. You like it? Yeah, I think it's great. Kindness matters. It does. Ask Colby our and oldest. It's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where can you find us on the socials? Well, you can find us at Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can send us a direct message. And if mm-hmm. you're somebody that has a story of hope to share with others, maybe your story is a story we need. Maybe your story can impact and change the life of somebody else. Send us a direct message. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, love Everybody to have you potential on the show. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. They do. So, Which is why we get another chance to do this again. Tomorrow? Everybody's got a story. Tomorrow? Yeah, we're going to do another podcast. You I ready? I can't wait. I'm ready. Give me a high five. Here high we go. Five. Here's a preview of Hope Radio Podcast, episode number 64. None of us get the chance to live forever. None of us are so invincible that we can keep going and going and going. And there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when we have had and heard our last whisper, the last whisper of breath that comes from our mouth, the last whisper of breath that touches our heart. And in knowing that, in knowing that I'm able to respond to my whispers better without feeling the fear, because then the adventure becomes bigger than the fear, the adventure of going for it, the adventure of making it count, the adventure of making a difference and leaving the footprints becomes bigger than the fear, because that is the universal feeling that all of us feel, the universal feeling that stops all of us from listening to our whispers of following our destiny of making a difference in this world is that word fear. And the first time that we can start to really, just to really accept the fact that we don't have to run and hide under the bed when fear touches our lives, that we can face it and we can move past it. That's when lives change.